Thank you for listening to Otaku Beef. I am Zid Raw, back from a much-needed vacation. I hope everybody is doing great. I hope you are going and trying to achieve your goals the same way that I've been. Let me see if I can catch you guys up with what's been going on with me before we kind of get into it. A lot has happened in the past. I want to say it's about a week. I was trying to give myself about a week, focus on stuff, get my mind right, not Zoom, not stress, not struggle. And I really think that we've had some great media. I'm going to be talking about the Defenders later today. But first, I want to do a full Game of Thrones episode about the penultimate episode of the season, the second to last episode, um, Beyond the Wall. Uh, Brief recap, I have been working on a lot of music, a lot of artwork. I took some time to really figure out a system that I think is going to help me be able to produce a lot of music much faster. So since I'm at the the outset of it, the very, very bottom of it, I'm just making as many of the building blocks that I need. And it's pretty cool. Um, what I'm doing is I'm kind of creating a bunch of loops and I'm building them together. So it's like I'll build the drums and I like kind of creating my own drum loops. Like it just feels a little bit more organic to me. And then I create my own synth loops. But what I'll do is whenever I have everything panned and I have everything EQ'd, not mastered, uh, I'll export them separately uncompressed. So the drum loop by itself and then the synth loop by itself, everything is named. And I'm doing them in groupings depending on the, um, I'm doing them in groupings depending on the, the key that I'm recording them in or depending on the speed. So I'm doing everything in a certain BPM and a certain key and I'm going to do that for a week. The next week I'll do a bunch more in a different key and a different BPM, so forth and so on. Until I build up a little miniature library that I can play around with. And then I think things are going to blend together better. I actually got the idea from watching John Mix Beats and from watching my cousin do a lot of his stuff. Check out Norvis Jr. And I I'm, I'm, I'm think I'm slowly getting the hang of things for what I really want to do kind of in the future I want to be doing some beat sessions and stuff like that so DJ for DJ P Chan to be able to really do what he wants to do I have to keep pushing so I, I guess I guess I feel really good about it I'm, I've been having fun doing it um, I'm also at the same time I'm learning like all this new information so I feel just like waves and waves and waves and washes of all this stuff. I'm learning a lot of Visual Studio, which is making more sense to me than SQL. Um, it's, it applies kind of directly to my, to my job role uh, at, at my office, and I'm trying to absorb uh, as much information as possible. But at the same time, I'm like, man, this is quite a bit of stuff. Uh, but I'm, you know, typical. I'm having fun with it. I am doing whatever it is I feel like I can do to try and learn and try and understand so that I can kind of expand my own mind, expand my horizons. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just pushing. I'm just trying to do as much stuff as I possibly can. And uh, so I took a week, got myself situated, got myself in order uh, so I can keep coming back and bringing you 
these awesome, fun um, podcasts. And that's another thing. Like, I, I started to remove a lot of the music from the uh, podcast because I was starting to get bored with it. I feel like there's more of a connection if it's just my voice and the empty space with you guys. Let me know what you think. Um, the music underneath, it's cool, it's fun, but I felt like it wasn't really giving the impact that I was hoping that it would give. So I'm going to be doing a lot of these going forward acapella, uh, as they say. But yeah, uh, I wanted to give myself a welcome back, give you guys a welcome back. I miss you guys. I love you guys. I hope you guys are, are, are really doing great. Uh, as soon as you hear the next music cue, if you're listening live on Anchor, we're going to jump right into talking about Game of Thrones, Beyond the Wall. I have million things to say about this and I'm very 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 excited to share it with you guys once again I'm Zidra Z-I-D-R-A-W-V if you guys are not following me on Snapchat I would highly advise that you do so Snapchat is always live always lit now that I have a new system I'm going to start doing a couple of DJ P-Chan sessions on there as well as on Instagram uh, Instagram you can do it live so I can just kind of set it up and just kind of start going and start playing around with some stuff. Uh, definitely check it out. I think it's going to be a fun time. Um, yeah, Game of Thrones. Beyond the Wall. It's the second to last episode of the season. And as always, if, if you don't want to be spoiled on anything Game of Thrones, if you don't want to have anything told to you, then go ahead and skip past this part because we're going to spoil the entire episode, the entirety of the season, and um, everything leading up to the final episode, which is going to be coming out Sunday. That's the last episode of the season. That's the last episode, and then we're going to have a year-long break until we get more Game of Thrones. And I, for one, am extremely excited. I cannot wait. Game of Thrones has been with us for so long. Um, with me, it's only been with me for about, since 2006 is when I first read the books. There was four books out. There was uh, Game of Thrones, uh, Clash of Kings, Dance with Dragons, and A Feast for Crows. And... The first books, I want to say, came out probably a decade before that. I think A Game of Thrones came out in like 96 or 95 or something like that. Uh, there's an old image of Jamie sitting on the uh, Iron Throne after he'd killed the king. Um, after he'd killed the Mad King in a video game magazine like uh, PlayStation Magazine or Game Informer or something. One of those. And... Now that it's slowly kind of coming to a close, at least in terms of the, uh, the, the television show, there's just so much, like every episode is an event. I love it. The memes on Twitter have been amazing. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the Night King memes, after he launched that freaking uh, ice javelin and, and decimated... Uh, the dragon have been amazing, saying he's going to get gold medal. He's uh, got like his gold medal for the Olympics, saying how the Night King is like uh, going to be recruited by the Pats. He's Tom Brady. I love it. It's just a lot of fun, and I'm a big fan of like the uh, the afterwards. I love riding the wave after uh, the episode comes out, but 
This one had a lot of anticipation, and my, my buddies at work, we were talking about it, and so I've had some really interesting discussion about what's happening, what could be happening, but they spoiled a lot of the episode for themselves because they read the leak information, which I don't recommend. I don't even like watching trailers or previews because it ruins part of the anticipation of what's going to happen. I think that that's just as bad as a spoiler. I mean, it's not as bad because, you know, they're trying to get you hyped. But for me, it kind of dampens my experience the same way that a spoiler can dampen um, another person's experience. You know what I'm saying? So that freaking, like, uh, information, uh, my buddy, he read it. And then he was he read it, like like last Monday before and he was like oh, when he watched it he's like I wish I hadn't read it because he didn't have that a lot of that sense of surprise he knew what was going to happen he knew the dragon was going to get got he knew that they were mostly going to survive except for the one uh, priest that sucks don't read that stuff even the theories will give you they put ideas in your head and then when the ideas are in your head it changes your perception about what is and isn't happening in the show. So my myself I went into it cold. I didn't know any of the theories. I didn't really know the spoilers. I just was excited. Um, another chick she knows basically what's going to happen next season which I think is just bad. That's not as much fun. You got to you got to go in fresh in my opinion. So this was the Magnificent Seven episode. Oh my God, the hype was incredible and it was worth it. So the only thing that I really want to discuss before we get into the stuff beyond the wall is the whole Sansa Arya moment, which I feel like that moment was very forced but it had its own little pockets of beauty inside of it. The beauty being the part where Arya is describing about how when she was a kid and she shot her bow and arrow that Bran had left on the ground. She wasn't supposed to have a bow and arrow. She was supposed to be off knitting. And she waited till no one was looking and then shot the arrow. And then she shot it again and again and again because she kept missing. And she only had one arrow, so she had to walk up and grab it and then take her paces back, restock it, reshoot it, walk up, grab it, take her paces again and again and again. And after so many times, maybe like 20, maybe 100 times, she hits the target, she hits the bullseye, and then she just hears applause. One person clapping. Who is it? It's her dad, Ned Stark, standing on the balcony, who'd been watching her. And she didn't know it. But he was proud of her. And that's a moment that she just had just for her and just between them. And she's had that all her life. And I thought that was just beautiful writing. I think that... I think that... That particular bit of moment character moment felt very real and felt very together um the following moment that preceded it I felt kind of 
threw me off a little bit. The moment where she immediately starts accusing Sansa, saying, you're just here to take over, and she pulls out this note that um, Sansa wrote when she was kind of got Joffrey's prisoner. And we have this moment where I know the show needs conflict in every single scene, but this didn't seem to fit because one of the best parts about Arya's character is that throughout she's always been very smart. She's not easily fooled. She's not really easily um, um, convinced. And what I was anticipating is that because of the things that she has been through, not only would she be smart, but she would be wise, a little bit wiser. But they're just portraying her as very, like, bullheaded and very, like, foolhardy and a little bit still kind of naive. So when Sansa's like, hey, I was a kid when I wrote that, they, uh, they, I was basically their prisoner. Arya's like, so? I was a kid. I would have, like, it's just, it just felt out of place. That particular scene, uh, I was not a fan of. I do think that what they're trying to do is Littlefinger is kind of playing his last game where he is essentially trying to make himself valuable once again to Sansa because that's the only way he's going to stay in power. The Lannisters are going to want nothing to do with him. He has the Aerie, but only kind of, only because his nephew or his stepson now, Robin, um, well, he calls him Uncle Peter, but he's like his... It's weird. He has those soldiers, so that's a little bit something. So at least he's Lord of the Vale, but he doesn't... He doesn't particularly uh, have any hole in the North, which is what he wants. He's still trying to climb to the top any way he can, scheming. Arya fell for it. I thought she was a little bit smarter than that, a little bit cleverer than that. And I thought that her assassination skills were a little bit better than that too, because she's supposed to be, she's supposed to be the, um, the one Stark whom doesn't make terribly bad decisions solely based on, um, naivete. Sure. She makes emotional decisions, usually a based on her anger and stuff. But this one felt a little bit too naive. Uh, but that's really all I wanted to say about that section because the fun stuff is the beyond the wall stuff. That's where the show is really gripping, exciting. That's, that's where I want to live. That's where I want to be. So now this is the part of the episode that we've been waiting for. This is the part that they hype this up on, and it's the beyond the wall stuff. This is where the excitement is. So, immediately, we get the beautiful shot of the, uh, the line of them walking uh, through the ice, ice location. Now... That particular shot, them kind of like striving through, walking in single file like a band of abandoned soldiers, I loved it. Overhead uh, helicopter footage of them careening through the passages. And then we zoom in, not to see uh, action or explosive sword fight, 
right away, we zoom in to see them just talking. These groups of characters that we all love and appreciate, that we think are cool, like the Hound, like Tormund, Giant Spain, Jon Snow, so forth and so on, we're so freaking like excited to see them and now they're communicating. They're actually getting along. They're actually meeting together. So this is like people who we've basically followed their individual adventures throughout the story. And now we're like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if they actually shared their adventure stories? Wouldn't it be cool if they actually discussed, like, what would it be like if they were sizing each other up? And that's kind of what we got. So. We got um, we got this really cool scene where Sandor and uh, and Tormund are talking, and uh, <laughs> they have this great moment where he was just like, "What's wrong? You don't you don't like wildlings?" And then the hound was like, "No, I just don't like gingers." And he's like, "Oh, gingers, we're lucky. I've been kissed by fire." And then he's like, "I can see you've been kissed by fire too." Oh shit. Like he's not holding anything back. It's just all out in the open. They're all pushing for this like really interesting almost like prickly dialogue where they're poking at each other. I love it. And then the, he he has this moment where he talks about how he has he has a woman waiting for him uh back basically at Winterfell. He's talking about Brienne how he's just like, "Oh, we're going to have giant children and we're going to storm and take over." Like, he is all about him some Brienne, which I love. I think that's really fucking cool. Because, yeah, it makes sense. He would be all about her. It's almost like it reminds me of um, the Joe Abercrombie novels of uh, the First Law trilogy followed by uh, his couple of standalone books. But the one I'm thinking of about is the one called Heroes, where... There are these different factions, and the northern faction is kind of like the Viking faction. There's a character who is not from the north, but he eventually gets to fight with them. And they were, he was like, oh, you were born in the wrong legacy. You're a giant. And that civilized society, they don't understand what makes you special. But I get what makes you special. Brienne was born in the wrong side of the wall. If she had been a wildling, she would be revered as a god. But no, everyone's like, oh, Brienne, she's so like, ooh, she thinks she's a man. She thinks she's fighting. Brienne is cool. And to a wildling, or I guess a northerner, a free folk like Tormund, she would be extremely attractive. So I thought that was awesome. And them walking down the ways and getting to know each other was cool. And then we get the first major explosive moment. The blizzard rolls in. And they see someone walking off in the distance. And I guess they've picked up some guides. And then all of a sudden you see this kind of polar bear figure kind of slumping in the distance. Everybody kind of stares. Pull out their weapons. But then they see it turn. And the guy starts running back to the group, starts running back. And then out of nowhere, this giant dead ice bear just sweeps him from the side and just takes him out. What a brilliant moment. That one startled the shit out of me. I didn't expect it. I didn't see it coming. And the fight that proceeded was amazing. Um, 
let's talk about the polar bear fight some more because it's awesome. This is one of those instances where I hear Melisandre ringing in my ear. The night is dark and full of terrors. <laughs> and damn it, she's right. I think that the, 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 the freaking polar bear scene really kind of set the tone. Having these guys giving you this kind of like light conversation at the beginning is smart because you know you get the story context it gives you a little bit more um, ability to care about them not just as characters because we kind of already do but as companions so we can feel the loss of the characters a little bit stronger when uh, certain people die or when they have to leave, like the, it, it increases the tension by giving them moments of levity. Having this scene where Gendry is still mad and he's just like, you guys sold me to a, a witch and she was going to kill me. And they're like, what happened? Well, she tied me to a bed. Okay. She, she stripped me naked. Okay. Then she got naked. And they're like, okay, so far this sounds pretty good. Like, the, 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 the first instant about how it kind of being humorous and it being a joke and stuff like that, it makes you like the camaraderie. So you buy them as like almost like their own unit, their married band. These are soldiers that are kind of being bonded through this sense of danger. Now, because of that, the bear scene really gave us a sense of oh snap, shit is real. They have a couple of mindless faces, which I guess are just members of the uh, wildling army whom Tormund is kind of like instructing and directing and stuff like that. And he's basically there to, to die, to get killed. But at the same time, it's to kind of like show the stakes. So when like he's running, when we see the bear in the distance and the bear just kind of like leaps up, snatches him away <laughs> out of nowhere, that like startled me. And so, you know, okay, Ish is real. But at the same time, it really becomes real when the red priest kind of gets bit. I thought he was going to die then right on the outset, but he didn't, you know, he, he expired later, but he gets wounded, but then he kind of like toughs it out. That's one of those things that I really appreciate about Game of Thrones is that it's not afraid to give people stuff that they need. It's not afraid to be like, this is something that a lot of women like to see. And then this is something that a lot of men like to see. This entire scene is very masculine, very machismo, very bros. Uh, bros on a mission which is a very like uh, male genre simply because it kind of pricks at a lot of things that uh, a lot of guys like almost like by their nature so when Sandor tells Gendry this guy over there he's been killed seven times and he's not fucking complaining <laughs> they're basically doing the whole toughen up, man up handle your shit don't complain. 
we had to do what we had to do, but hey, it worked out, so just move on. Very cool. Uh, stuff like that is a lot of fun for guys. So seeing these scenes done in such a uh, high-quality way is very satisfying. So when the, when the Red Priest gets injured, and I didn't even... I didn't even think about it when it happened, but uh, when it does happen, he gets injured, and now um, we're realizing, okay, if he dies, that's it. You're not coming back to life anymore. This is your last life, so it's no more get out of free jail free cards. And they did that to increase the uh, the tension, I believe. And I 100% was not expecting that. So I guess it didn't register until they fucking said it later on when they're stranded on that little mini island. But I just thought it was really well handled. He gets mauled, but he doesn't get killed. They stitch him up. They brand him with fire. He toughs it out. And the men continue on their journey. Other brilliant aspects after the polar bear scene is when we get our first taste of them kind of confronting the white and uh, the dead the dead men that are kind of like traveling with him. Uh, we get this wonderful scene where they basically have to engage them in combat. So we get to see all the companions kind of like loop around and engage in like these cool battle scenes. And it was shot wonderfully. The, the camera movement was, was good and it really displayed their action without making it seem forced which is, in my opinion, a lesson that the defenders could have used. Uh, they were trying to do something to the uh, how the Avengers work, but they didn't quite make it. And I'll get into that. I'm going to talk about the defenders on uh, the podcast directly after this, this one. But seeing them kind of like fight together solidifies the union of the group. That's what's so fun about these kind of like men on a mission things is that they 100% kind of give um, that cathartic experience that a lot of us in the audience like. I mean, I think I've said this on the podcast before, um, but there was a guy I knew and he was, um, he was really good. In, in regards to storytelling, storytelling function, and stuff like that. And he said that every story is, is a fantasy. And what, what that means is not like about fantasy, but every story is a way to kind of enact some sort of like part of your life that maybe you're needing or you're not it's not being satisfied so you enact it in like this almost like a fantasy setting so once you do that it's easy to see who's attracted to what like maybe you just in a point in your life where you're not getting a lot of romance um, or you're not getting the right type of romance so you gravitate toward the romance genre to kind of fulfill that aspect that is uh, not present for you. Now, suppose that you don't get a chance to really uh, engage in the more physical, masculine side of your life. You don't get into many fights. You don't get to box, so forth and so on. So when you see something like Game of Thrones, it's almost like being able to get that out without putting yourself in danger or... Almost like being able to experience it without having to 
really fully need to functionally experience it. It's very interesting how that all works. So seeing these guys swinging their swords and seeing them kind of like fight and and knock it out and uh, go against these incredible odds. And obviously they can kill as many skeletons, nameless faceless skeletons, and it's not going to make us feel as if they're bad. No, we feel like, no, these are the good guys. They're going after them. They're really putting, uh, putting their swords to, 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 to the, against evil. And what makes it even better is that Jon Snow, the, um, character surrogate of the good guy, who's still kind of one of the best guys, he's kind of leading the way. He's the one that tells them when to go, when to stop. He's the one that takes charge. He's the one that actually kills the white. And because he kills the white, everything else just kind of like crumbles. So seeing that in action, seeing that put to task like that was very satisfying and very wonderful. Um, And they actually had a plan to capture the white, which I was not expecting. Seeing Tormund with a rope, which I don't think was the best plan, but the fact that they were going to do something was pretty freaking cool. So it was just very satisfying to see that and how it played out. And I really liked that addition of it. But I want to talk about this kind of plan in general because there's been a lot of talk online about how the plan was very, very weak. And I'm kind of inclined to agree. I think it was super hilarious when I was reading all the comments on Twitter mainly. And if you're not on Twitter after Game of Thrones, man, that's some of the best comedy (laughs) you can find. Meme humor is like where it's at. And I I fucking love it. But it's beside the point. A lot of the comments were talking about, let me get this straight. Because they needed to prove that a white exists or that the, the walkers exist, they decide, let's just randomly go out seven of us get one and just bring it back it's the dumbest plan I've ever heard in my life and it's hilarious too because like when I was watching it my girl was like let me get this straight when have they ever just seen a walker just wandering around by himself like never go ahead we'll wait (laughs) the only times we've seen walkers kind of by themselves is when um something has happened like there someone died and then they turned or when the first season when they found the dead bodies on the other side and so they brought them back so Mr. Amon could study them and then the guy just raised up and tried to kill um, Jon Snow and the old bear and a ghost was kind of locked outside shit like that you know what I mean like we've never seen them on the other side of the wall just one hang out by itself so this plan is already difficult. Now, in addition to that, they're going to have to find one that's isolated or they're going to have to isolate one of the walkers from the group. Now, that's what's so crazy about it is because they've always, ever since we've seen them, they've always just kind of moved in droves they've always just kind of moved as like these massive units that are being controlled by the by the different whites or by the night king so 
I guess they're also showing us, here's how we can take out a lot of them. You don't really have to fight them all at once. You can just take out one of the whites and then they go down. So that presents a lot of questions then. If that's all it takes to take them out, what's the strategy for the Night King? Does he want to hide the, the main whites? Does he want to... Um, does he want to like keep them hidden so that just in case that they can't take out all the skeletons, like they can take out a few, but in order to get all of them out, you have to actually kill the whites. So wouldn't they be smarter to just send the, 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 the walkers out in waves and then they hang, kind of hang back or hang in a tent or something like that? Because I guess it's some sort of like psychic, socionic, telepathic connection that they have with these creatures. So then that raises the question, how far away do they need to be? Do they have to be right next to their soldiers that they're directing? Or do they need to actually, or can they be a, like a great distance? And if that's the case, what kind of strategy, what kind of brains does the Night King have? He seems to be pretty smart. I'm assuming it kind of works on a tiered system, like the um, the fighters of the um, like the the skeleton guys and like the uh, the actual like dead army are controlled by the whites, and the whites are controlled by the Night King, or maybe there's like a combination or like a group of folk within the combination of the whites and the night king that like um special like the specialty whites that are controlling the majority of the forces not really sure how it works um but that's basically what they're alluding to is this is how we can take down this army we have to get close enough to take out the whites and or the night king before they can turn more people into whites i'm assuming from the first uh season when craster was leaving his babies out or i think that was season two maybe yeah season two i'm assuming that they have to turn babies into whites but i'm probably wrong because weren't they trying to turn uh Benjen stark into a white as well but then halfway through the process the children of the forest saved him which is why he's cold hands so forth and so on but yeah i didn't even i barely even talked about the plan but yeah the plan is so basic there's no strategy to it. There's no anything. And that's actually my biggest um, concern with Jon Snow as a character. So my 100% problem with Jon Snow as a character, and this is kind of my only problem, it's not even him as a character, it's in how he's able to achieve as remaining his character, is that he doesn't plan. He never strategizes, like, ever. And it almost breaks the world a little bit because one of the one of the more brilliant aspects of Game of Thrones is that it doesn't really like kowtow to um, what do you call it? It doesn't bow down to I guess you could say non-strategic planning, like. What makes it so realistic is that despite how much you like a certain character or you enjoy who they are as a human being, that doesn't mean that they're actually going to win um, a battle or defeat their enemy. That the world, as kind of was established, 
in basically by George R. R. Martin that's been followed up by the um, the showrunners you have to be smart and strong smart and brave but you have to do things in an intelligent way in order to really come ahead now the problem is that only the bad guys have been intelligent or acting intelligent I'll say and the good guys have been acting kind of like naively John has continued to act naively but then he's been continually successful like he's just kind of willing his way to victory and that was my main problem with the battle of the bastards is that John lost that battle he's like we have no strategy so we're just gonna we're just gonna go out there and give it our best shot and he got outplayed Ramsey outplayed him dominated him and the only reason that he even survived was because Sansa brought the um, brought the airy which was also annoying because why didn't she tell him that she had more troops that she could bring John could have actually created a situation to where he wouldn't have had to put the troops in that situation and then she could have came in at the last minute and it would have worked that's been my biggest problem with Jon Snow as a character in that in the later seasons of the show that has been working for him there's no growth I feel as if in this world as was kind of established in this world he should not be able to kind of get away with that on a consistent basis once makes sense twice uh, three times now it's getting kind of silly so he dashes across the wall it's like we'll take one of these whites we'll come back there's no backup there's no support there's no strategy of let's hang out let's watch them maybe we can catch one unawares maybe we can find one in this certain way they just walk and head towards where they think they are and Sanders like yeah I saw in that dream it's up there and then they're just like all right we'll just fight one and tie it like it just it feels lazy from somebody who's supposed to have learned how to come how to be a commander like John knows how to fight and he knows how to inspire but he doesn't really know how to command soldiers and despite how evil Ramsey Bolton was he was a very smart guy brilliant tactician and it made sense that he was kind of running things so well and so efficiently he was like if Joffrey had a brain the cruelty the psychotic nature the insanity mixed with a brilliant mind and that's kind of what I'm talking about that whole thing where it's just like Jon Snow is winning but he's only winning because he's the main character and I wish that they could do a little bit better job now I don't really care about the time and the distance of Cinder Raven and what he got there so fast because it's like we're in the later seasons they only have so long to tell the story everyone can kind of fly Danny can fly in the dragons that makes sense to me I'm cool with that show that the world is shrinking because the characters are improving I'm thinking RPG rules that's fine it's just the shitty plan that was my that was my only issue with what was kind of going on um, now the final moments are also quite you know so the dramatic scene came from them waiting which I thought was very very cool they got to a point where all of the the whites came 
and they sent their armies of skull and bones and you kind of saw what was coming where they had their guy but they couldn't really fight everything so they just ran and went for it until they get trapped on this island I thought that 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 was really cool even though I knew it was coming I like that they had to kind of wait it out they're just sitting there and all they have is banter and they're just waiting and that's just as torturous as any of the other aspects of the fight because imagine if you have to fight a guy and you know one of you might die and you're in the middle of fighting now imagine that you're about to have to fight to the death that anticipation the the the, the tension the self-doubt the fear it could wash over you but these are all at this point hardened men so the way they handle things vastly different from the way that we would probably handle things in our lives so I thought it was really cool though when Sander was throwing that rock I was like if you don't put that fucking rock down the rock lands on the ice the second rock and they're like oh shit we can walk now he he like sped up the process of them coming to get them which I thought was it's kind of funny but it's kind of stupid at the same time um, when they woke up the next day and then obviously the red priest he died during the night. He froze. And I thought that was a really nice ending. And it was a good way to go for him as a character because it's hard for these characters whom are magical to have more satisfying or finally satisfying ends. Because the world of Game of Thrones is kind of light on magic until it isn't. Like the dragons are like bursting with magic. The children of the four scenes, which I thought were just kind of weird and um didn't really mesh with the rest of this with the rest of the show and what they were doing um but when he keeps bringing people back to life and it's magic and then maybe i'm thinking maybe sandor clegane is going to be able to be a red priest now that he can kind of look into the fire almost getting over his fear of fire is going to be his way going forward soon he's going to be wielding the sword of flames um I thought that was really, really cool. And he had a really good moment, too, where uh, they were talking about how during one of their engagements, he charged headfirst in uh, completely sort of fire. And they thought that he would they revered him as a god. And he was like, yeah, I don't even remember that day. I was so I was so wasted. <laughs> like He was just drunk. I thought that was very, very cool. Um, so. They finally overtake them. We're having the good fight. We know that John said the dragons are coming. So we know as an audience, dragons are coming. Danny talks with Tyrion, and then she's like, no, I'm going. And she has a new snow outfit to match, which was pretty fly. And she takes all three dragons. This is the first time we're seeing all three grown-ass dragons in action, period. When she was in Marine in the fighting pits, it was still only Drogon. When she was... Uh, taking them to, to war two episodes ago, it was only Drogon. This time it was all three. And I think their names are Drogon, Viserion, and Regan, Reg, Regalon, or something like that. Named after her two brothers and called Drogo. Now, when she arrives, it's beautiful. She's melting the ice. The skeleton dead guys are falling in. Everything is going as planned. And I'm like, cool, she's going to save them. The Night King's going to threaten them. We're going to have a cool standoff. She's going to believe him. What I did not expect was the Night King having a fucking ice spear 
that he could throw and take out a dragon. That's what I talk about. That's how you do subtlety of magic. Because you're like, what? How does that even work? It's just a simple physical action, but we believe it because we believe that magic flows within him. I thought that was wonderfully handled. I thought that was brilliant. Um, Yeah, I thought that really worked. So that aspect I really loved. I thought it was well done. Um, And seeing the dragon die was both sad and terrible because I wasn't expecting it. But I knew that they were going to get that dragon because I knew from the polar bear scene where you see this giant animal turn blue that they could do that. Of course they are. I really dug it. I just think that this is one of the best shows on television. It's one of the most fun. I like being a part of these big major events where we're all talking about it as a community, as a world, as people, and across the nation. We're all involved. And it's fun and it feels good and it's 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 livening. It brings a nice little bit of light to uh, our weekends and it's holds true to us as human beings the characters for the most part act how they should act the world is designed and within its own system and it sticks to that system i think that it's very well done it's brilliant um when they dragged the dragon out of the ice i'm gonna bring up my first big question mark over the entire series or over the episode where did they get these fucking chains like We've never seen them use tools other than swords and weapons and stuff. And then all of a sudden they have these giant ship chains that are used for anchors. Like, where are these coming from? Like, someone was telling me that they read that they, Night King came on a boat, so they had these anchors lying around and shit. What? And then they couldn't get in water. But then all of a sudden, because there's a dragon under there, we're getting in water, son. Get down there, swim down. Like, can they get in water? I don't really know how it works. But... I like that they got the dragon. I was confused by the giant chains and they're all lined up plugging on these chains, which was funny, but yeah. Um, I think it's cool that they're actually having a dragon because I was thinking a couple of episodes back that if, if, da- if Daenerys didn't really have any real opposing force, like if she can just fly around the world and burn everything with the dragons, who's really going to contend with her? But now the bad guys have a dragon. I'm assuming the dragon is going to spit ice, um, you know, for opposite sake. And some people are predicting, no, I'm not going to get into that, but it's awesome. I fucking love it. The, 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 the bad guys now have an opposing dragon, which they don't know about. They don't know that they turn him into a dragon, but when they see him, they're going to realize, holy shit, we shouldn't have gone up there. Like they're going to blame themselves. And then Danny is going to be terrified and sad that one of her children are back. And here's another fear. It was easy as hell for them to kill that dragon. Very easy. An ice spear. How much does that take? Like, it seems like he has an endless supply. He could just keep firing and firing and firing and firing. If he wanted, where's he getting these from? They're fucked. How are they actually going to fight these guys legitimately? They just raise the stakes just enough to let you know that your invulnerable dragons are not invulnerable. It's a sad, crazy, scary world, and I, I, I fucking love it. So Game of Thrones is really killing it right now. I'm having a blast watching it. The only other funny thing was um, 
when they had to get go get word to uh, Danny to um, send a raven and tell him to get Danny, and they're like, Gendry, you go. And he's like, what, why? And then John's like, because you're the fastest. What? How does he know? Did they have a race that I missed? Like, did something happen that I just didn't know about? I thought that was really funny. And it was weird because it made no sense. It was a line that stuck out. It made no sense. He's like, go, you're the fastest. And then people are just rationalizing it on their own. Like, yeah, it's because he's younger. He's the youngest. What? What does that mean? They could have just changed the line. Like, someone's going to have to send the raven. And then Gendry could have popped up and said, hey, I'll go. I'm a pretty fast runner. And they're like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I got it. And he's like, here, hold my hammer for me. And they're like, don't worry. We're going to hold on to it because you're, you're going to be back. So apparently he raced all the way back. It's 24 miles according to fan whatever. Uh, they mapped it out. So he basically ran a marathon all the way back in a freezing cold and collapsed. So they could get that Raven to Danny so she could fly out. So that was wonderful. Hats off, claps off to Game of Thrones. Probably the best show on TV. One of the best shows of all time, if not the best show of all time. And it's great. I love this show. I'm glad you guys are listening and watching it. And I appreciate you guys tuning in to listen to this podcast episode. Um, Either later tonight or probably tomorrow, I'm going to make a podcast about the Defenders. Um, Marvel's Defenders that just came out on Netflix. I want to do that quick because Death Note is coming out on Friday. And you know I'm going to be talking about that on Otaku B. Because you know, if anything, we're big otaku anime fans. Death Note is my one of my top five favorite mangas. So I look forward to that. So I'm Zid Raw. Thanks for listening. I love you guys. Uh, stay tuned to Otaku B. Find me on all channels. Deuces. Zid Ra.